Yeah. Nice. Clapping. Nice. Good to see you all again. Don't we have a cool church? I'd go here if I wasn't working. I like this place. I met a new guy last week, came to church, and I said to him, we were looking at each other, and I said, uh, hey, this is your first time here? He goes, yeah. And I said, I go here too. And he goes, oh, really? And I said, it was before he got up here, sitting right over in this area over here. And I said, yeah, man, I go here because the pastor's got a cute wife. He's like, bro, that's dumb. Don't do that. It's the honest truth. Hey, I want to tell you something. We're in the middle of a, uh, she is pretty. I like her. We're in the middle of a series that I want to get right to because it's going to take some time. Uh, but um, hey, Chuas, welcome back. Good to see you. Uh, listen, I want, I want to tell you, we're in the middle of a series called Unscathed. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. God, thanks for today. Lord, we love you. We need you a bunch. God, the world we live in is crazy and weird and needs you so much. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, two days ago, I had the privilege of uh, going up to the hospital with my daughter. My daughter's grandmother-in-law was on her deathbed, actually, uh, which was sad. So they invited me up, and uh, I got to sit next to the bed of a woman in her uh, 80s uh, who surrendered her life to Christ. And so she passed away this morning. So Jeannie's in heaven uh, with Jesus. Can me tell you this? God doesn't stop. God doesn't stop pursuing us. God doesn't stop coming after us at every level. He doesn't stop trying to make a way. It, 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 was, the, it was the day I sit down and study to prepare for my message, and my daughter said, Dad, my Grandma Jeannie's in the hospital. They think she's going to pass away, blah, blah, blah. It happened faster than anyone thought she had had cancer. And so um, can you leave your sermon prep and come up and do this? It was way up in, uh, Muckle, no, um, gosh, past Everett, Be- Bellingham-ish. And so she's like, and, and it was on Friday, so it took us five and a half hours to drive up there because the traffic was awful. And, and, I, and the whole time, I'm like, Jesus, do something because I want to be preparing. I want to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And the whole time, the Lord's going, Lance, would you just settle down? I got a plan, right? <laughs> and the plan was to see Jeannie come to know Jesus, Right, And then, then on then Saturday morning, I got up and it was like he said, here's the message. Why do we ever doubt God? Why do we ever doubt his ability to just pull off God kind, kind of stuff in God's kind of way? Every one of us does that, right? Every one of us has these moments when we're like, God, you know what? It's a great idea that everyone trusts you, but come on! Because <laughs> it's hard. We're, we're talking about this series in Daniel. Daniel takes place at the year 605 B.C., and during this particular time frame, the children of Israel were being taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. They were literally being taken prisoner from where they were in the land. Now, we know from history that they remained prisoners for 70 years. The word 70 years comes up often in the Bible, and, and we, uh, I just want to help paint in the corners a little bit about something Seventy years they were in captivity in Babylon. Now you might think, well, what's the uh, arbitrary number of 70? It just so happened that 70 was the number. Let me tell you this, there was nothing arbitrary about it. See, the children of Israel were told literally centuries before, 
860 years before this moment, the children of Israel were told in the book of Leviticus chapter 25 by God. He said, listen, let let me read uh, Leviticus chapter 25. says this. It says, while Moses was on Mount Sinai, this is 860 years prior to this moment in Daniel we're going to get to. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, give the following instructions to my people Israel. When you've entered the land that I'm giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before every seventh year. For six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It's the Lord's Sabbath. Everyone say it's the Lord's Sabbath. It's the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. And don't store away any crops that grow on their own or gather grapes uh, from your unpruned vines. The land must have a complete year of rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during that Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, your temporary residents who live with you, your livestock, your wild animals. The land will also be allowed, uh, the, the lo- in the land will also be allowed to eat whatever the land produces. Translation. God told the children of Israel in Leviticus chapter 25, 860 years before, I'm going to lead you into this land. While you're in this land, every seven years, shut her down. Take a year off. Give the land a rest. Translation, trust me. I got a plan. The children of Israel heard this word from the Lord 600 years before, and for 490 years after they got into the land, because this was so many years before, they were in the land for 490 years. The children of Israel got to the first seventh year. You know what they did? Not what they were supposed to do. They got to the second seventh year. You know what they did? Not what they were supposed to do. Literally, get this. For 490 years, they said to God, we should trust you, but we're not gonna. For 490 years, they didn't do what God said to do. Give the land a rest, and I'll just happen to provide for you, and you can take a year off. How many of you would be like, that's awesome? Right? God told them to do this. Just trust me, I'll take care of you. And the children of Israel said, not going to happen. Some of you are math majors and you're starting to do the math. That 70 goes into, you do the math, 490 years, right? 7 goes into 490 years, how many years? 70, right, you're right. Isn't that possible? Every seven years they were supposed to do this. So get this, the children of Israel in the book of Daniel were held captive for 70 years. You know what God was doing? He was getting his Sabbath back. He was given the land its rest. You know how much God cares about dirt? You know what you were made of? Huh. God created you from the dust to the ground. He cares about us. I'm amazed how God cares about Jeannie in the hospital. God cares about us as human beings. When God says, trust me, he says, trust me. His intention was to give the people a year rest. What about tithing for us, right? We just heard Pastor Chad come up here and talk to us about giving and trusting God in that area. And he says, you know what? Just trust me. I'll take care of you. And most of us go, I don't know. Are you kidding? No, I don't know, man, because it's too hard. What happens? We get super tired and exhausted and can't figure out how to make our own way. But God says, if you do it my way, I'll give you rest. If you'll trust me with the 10%, 
I love that the Bible says that the Sabbath was the Lord's. In Malachi, the Bible says the tithe is the Lord's. It's the same words. Literally, we could say, God, I'm going to trust you with my tithe, and you're actually going to give me rest and provide for me in ways that I can't understand. Now let's get to our study. That was for free. Unscathed. We're talking about living unscathed. We know the children of Israel were living in this land that they were taken and held captive to because God was going to get his Sabbaths back. 605 B.C., Daniel and his four friends were taken captive. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had sent in a group of people to come into this land and take out, the Bible says, the most handsome, smart dudes and bring them into the land of Babylon for one sole purpose, from in, to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture, send them back to the, the Israeli people and, and, and have them transformed into becoming a bunch of Babylonian-ish kinds of people. His hope was to retrain them into the Babylonian way. The crazy irony was is it switched on him, and not only did, did Nebuchadnezzar blow it by picking Daniel and these other three fellas, those three, fe- those three fellas plus Daniel ended up transforming the nation of Babylon because their, their giant walk with God. I love this. Last week we talked about what these men did to avoid compromise, what they did to remove themselves from compromise. I'm going to give you a quick little, little follow-up. Last week we told you about the fact that they wanted to get them to compromise and three things they did. They didn't forget their identity, they made up their minds, and they worked hard at what God had called them to. They worked hard and stayed what they were gifted to. Open your Bibles, if you could, to Daniel chapter 2. We know now that Daniel, at this point, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because I don't know their Hebrew names, these guys were all, at this point, in Babylon, being trained in the Babylonian way. They were reading their literature. They were eating uh, their own food. But they were, they were tried to be raised up as these leaders in Babylon so that they could go take the Babylonian way back to Israel, or to, to Judah. And in the process, these, three, these four guys started to get transformed into a deeper walk with God. The Bible says that God actually began to give them favor in the eyes of the Babylonian people and give Daniel a special gift. Listen to this. Daniel chapter 2, verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. It says, He, this is the king, the king called the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers and demanded that they tell him what his dream had been. As they stood before the king, he said, I had a dream that troubles me. Tell me what I dreamed, for I must know what it means. We have this king that has this incredible dream. We have this king that he, he can't figure out what's going on with life. He can't figure out what's, what's happening in his world. He has this crazy dream. that God, It's a God dream. He begins to speak to this ungodly king through a dream. He doesn't understand what it means. Now, there's something about Nebuchadnezzar. You need to know about Nebuchadnezzar. He was a smart dude. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar gets more ink in the Bible than any other pagan king ever. Nebuchadnezzar was one of these guys who was, who, who was amazing. Listen to this. In the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar uh, was discussed more than any other monarch in the world. He was a genius. He was an educator. He was an architect. And he had a, an amazing military mind. If you study Nebuchadnezzar, even apart from the Bible, you would find that this, he, he built structures that some maybe even still stand today. Nebuchadnezzar was an amazing man. The thing about Nebuchadnezzar that I respect was that he wasn't going to be had. He wasn't just going to be had by somebody coming up to him and telling him his horoscope. 
He wasn't going to be had by somebody saying, hey, let me, let, let me stir in a couple of these, these crazy uh, potions and then have you drink it and then you can have some magic trick happen. It, he wasn't going to be had, but he was going to use discretion and try to figure out what it was that this dream had meant. So the best thing he could possibly think of was this ungodly king calls these people, these wise men, if you will, to his court and says to them, interpret my dream. Now, to make it more difficult, he says, don't just interpret my dream. Tell me what my dream was, then interpret my dream, right? And then what happens is, interestingly enough, is the, the astrologers, the magicians, and the, the, these, these guys who were there, they, they say, well, king, nobody can do that. Nobody can tell you what your dream was, but just tell us your dream, and we'll give you the interpretation, right? And the king, I love about Nebuchadnezzar is he's like, nice try. You're just going to tell me something. You're just going to make something up. If I give you what my dream was, you're going to go ahead and make something up. And nice try. That ain't going to happen. I love this. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 12. It says, the king was furious. In fact, the Hebrew says he was super furious. He, when he heard this about these people saying, give me the dream first, obviously. It says, the king, was, the king was furious when he heard this, and he sent out orders to execute all the wise men of Babylon. And because the king's decree... Men were also sent to find Daniel and his friends. Imagine this, right? Imagine the fact that king has a dream he doesn't understand. Talks to the wise men of this particular time. They try to con the king into giving him a little something so they can make something up. And the king says, no, you either tell me the dream or you're all just a bunch of smoke blowers. All of you are just a, you're just a fake bunch of people. I think I loved this about this king was that he wasn't just going to be taken by somebody's smooth talk. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just going to be taken over by, by somebody's quick... The thing I love about this, too, is that God had a plan to save Nebuchadnezzar. God has a plan to save the entire world. I don't know if you realize that, but God loves this place. Do you realize that God loves ungodly people? In fact, the Bible says God so loved the world that he sent his son to save it. You know what we think it is? God so loved the church. That he came to make us happy. Can I tell you this? God so loved the world. It, the, the crazy neighbor you got. That, that crazy uncle. That, that whatever the, the, the people around you. Your boss that you cannot stand because he won't give you the vacation you've been asking for for weeks. That, that thing. That, that guy. He loves him. God loved Nebuchadnezzar so much. I love this. In all of his divine wisdom... Not only was he uh, giving Israel, or Judah rather, a 70-year spanking for not obeying the Sabbath issue, but he says, hey, while you're there, I'm going to send four missionaries to you, Nebuchadnezzar, who can show you who I am. God, so much so he says this, I'm going to give you a dream that your wise men can't figure out. Listen to this. God was like divinely orchestrating a plan. To get him frustrated with his ways. Let me tell you this. People who are lost eventually get frustrated with their ways. That's how we all came to know Christ. At some point we were dissatisfied with our ways. And we needed something more. God does it all the time. Listen, every now and again you're going to bump into somebody who's so dissatisfied with their way. You know what people do when they're dissatisfied with their ways? What do people do when they're dissatisfied with what's going on in their life? Human nature is, they try to make it better. 
They try to get away from the dissatisfaction or the pain. (laughs) You know, that happens, right? They make mistakes and they do stuff that people who don't know how to get rid of their pain do. They do stuff, they hurt people, they say things, they, they, they compromise, they, they, all the things that goes on, right? Because people who don't know to fo- where to find the answer do anything they possibly can to find the answer. It's like someone who's drowning, and, and they're out there drowning in the water, and you swim out there to try to save them. If you get too close too fast, they're going to take you down because they're drowning. They're just looking for some way to get some air. Nebuchadnezzar, I think, was the same thing. He was just looking for an answer, talks to his wise men, and they got nothing. Can you just see how God is like divinely setting up this moment? Just in the, the whole time we get this picture of him going, oh, he sent four guys to him, missionaries who are righteous. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Medigo are all like doing their, he's setting up the scene, like this movie plot we're watching. I love how God works. It's enough to frustrate you, isn't it? Sometimes God works so slow. You ever feel like God works slow? Yeah? Sometimes you're like, God, you can speed it up just a skosh, would be happy. Just a little bit, everybody would be happy. But oftentimes he doesn't do that. Let's things happen. But I, I, you know in God's slowness, you know what he's doing? He's trying to save as <laughs> In God's long suffering, he wants to save as many as he possibly can. And sometimes we're like, God, if you just close the deal on that one guy then I'll just be happy. And God's like, I don't want that one guy. I want all the guys that he's connected to, too. Hmm. I want to teach you real quickly this morning. I think we don't do this very often. I know I certainly haven't. I want to help you figure out how to fight right when you don't agree with the king. How to fight right. I think one thing in churches we don't do very well is teach people how to fight right. What we do is we tell them, hey, this is right and this is wrong, Go get them, slugger. And then we, we slap them on the hiney and say, go get them, slugger. Have fun and live your life in front of people who don't know how to live their life in front of God. Let me take this. I want to help you learn how to fight right when you don't agree with the king. <laughs> how to fight right when you don't agree with the king. How many of you know that you need to learn how to fight right when you don't agree with the king? Now, what's the king? Let me tell you this. The king is anybody who is an authority in your life in some area. There's some area of your life that you have a king in authority over your life. Maybe it's your uh, boss. Maybe your king is uh, your uh, teacher. Maybe your king is uh, your president. I don't know. Maybe your king is uh, uh, the policeman. Maybe your king is your spouse. I don't know. The king. And oftentimes you know what the king is because they're the one that will make you mad because they say no. And oftentimes we don't learn how to fight right in the presence of the king. We're horrible fighters because we lose sight of the fact that God's trying to save lost people. We think it's an assault against us. And we start fighting the wrong way. We start trying to get our way and trying to get it figured out because we're going to stand for justice and rightness. And we forget that God's got a divine plan. And so instead of fighting right, we fight wrong. And oftentimes I think think we throw a wrench in the midst of what God's doing. Because we don't know how to fight right. When we disagree with what's going on with the king, we have a hard time trying to figure out how to do it right, how to disagree correctly, how to stand up for what's righteous and right without somehow not causing more problems than good. So the sermon today is called, How to Fight Right When You Don't Agree with the King. 
Write that down. Number one, how to fight right when you don't agree with the king. Number one, DWDD. Do what Daniel did. We're going to make wrist bracelets for that. DWDD. Do what Daniel did. How to fight right when you don't agree with the king. You know what he did? I love this. DWDD, number one, by speaking with wisdom and discretion. I wrote discernment up there, but I meant to say discretion. But discernment actually works. By speaking with wisdom and discernment or discretion. Listen to this, Daniel 2.14. I love this. I ran past this the other day, and I had to literally stop in my tracks. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, pause. The king just sends out this edict to all of the nation's wise men in Babylon and says, you're all dumb. Kill them all. It's amazing, right? So this guy, Arioch, came to Daniel and his buddies and says, um, hey, I'm here to kill you. You know what he didn't do? He didn't come and say, like, hey, let's come and have a, a talk. <laughs> let's come and have a cup of coffee. He says, I'm here to do away with you. I'm coming here to kill you. Look at Daniel's response. Let's finish the sentence. Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. What? When the king's commander came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. When somebody sent by the king came to tell Daniel, everything you're doing is done and you are a mess and you're do- we're doing away with you, Daniel's response was to handle the situation with wisdom and discretion. The word wisdom and discretion in Hebrew actually comes out with tact or, 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 or with taste or with discernment. He handled the situation with wisdom. Look at how it says it in the message translation of the Bible. When Arioch, the chief priest of the royal guards, was making arrangements for his execution, Daniel wisely took him aside and quietly asked him, What's going on, bro? You know, it's interesting to me. When things don't go our way, that's usually not our attack. (laughs) That's usually not our approach. Today in 2018, when things don't go our way and you don't agree with the king, what's the first response for many of us? I'm just going to tweet about it right now. I'm going to just go ahead and post my thing about that. I'm going to tell Facebook how much that guy is a dope. And I'm going to tell, tell, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go ahead and make a, I'm making a stand. I don't have social media, so I don't know who I'm looking at. I thought I feared saying the statement knowing that I was going to bum someone out, but I don't, I don't read your stuff. I just live today. You know what happens when we don't agree with the king? We don't do what Daniel did with wisdom and discretion. We just start a posting. I'm going to tell you what I feel about that thing, doggone it. I'm going to say you're a worthless pile of nothing. You, could, you know, we would never should have voted for you in the first place, but... I feel like I'm stepping on toes. Can I tell you this? I don't know who's doing what, where, but can I tell you this? Social media is a horrible medium to get a thing across. It is an awful medium because when you post something, you hurt somebody on some side of a thing about something. There are better ways to handle with discretion and wisdom. Sorry, I came a little passionate. No, I'm not sorry. I Listen, I love you. I just know I'm going to tell you this. When we start posting stuff, we hurt people all the time. 
on side of something. And again, you, 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 you are entitled. I'm not saying you don't have the freedoms to post stuff. Please do your thing. Post your things. Wisdom. Discretion. I love what Daniel did. Daniel just didn't stand up and say, hey, all the rest of you wise men, come here. We're going to take a vote. Nebuchadnezzar's stupid. He's ready to kill us all. He's an idiot. Let's start a Nebuchadnezzar's an idiot club. I mean, we, he didn't do that. He, he just said, hey, look it. I love the fact that he took Ariok aside and says he handled him quietly and said, hey, what's going on? What's really going on? You know what that did? It afforded him the next step. It afforded him the next step instead of running out and saying, I'm staking claim on what I think is true on a thing and whatever it is, and start plowing away at some belief. On, and again, I feel like I've just stepped on some toes. But if I'm your pastor, if you'll allow me to do that, I want to push us in. My goal is not to make you happy. My goal as a pastor is to help you become holy. Uh, my goal is not to lead you into so that you can have a, a, a wonderful, happy life. My, my goal is to help you learn how to live a deeply holy life. That's pleasing to God and attractive to the lost. That's what God has called us to. And I can tell you, when we stake claim in areas of our life, in that area of social media, we can make a mess. There are ways to get your message across. I'm not so sure that's the best way. Amen. Listen to what Ecclesiastes says. Ecclesiastes 7 says, Don't be quick to fly off the handle. I love this. Listen to this. It says, it says Don't be quick to fly off the handle. Anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps he has on his head. Somebody needs to tattoo that. Proverbs 15, 18 says this, A hot head starts fight. A cool-tempered person tries to stop it. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says this, Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Just for kicks, I wrote down four things to ask yourself before posting something on social media. Can I just say them real quick? Right, write these down if you want. If not, you can... Send me an email later. Question to ask yourself before posting on social media. Number one, what would Daniel post? <laughs> would, would Daniel post this? What are you about to post? Remember, every decision Daniel made impacted his three friends and the entire nation. Here we go. What, would Daniel post this? Number two, am I reflecting God through this post? Number three, is this post going to hurt somebody? And number four, what I want this post to become tomorrow's headline in the New York Times. Just for fun. Got that? How to fight right when you don't agree with the king, number two. DWDD, number two. By asking your friends for help. How to fight right? Ask your friends for help. Look at what it says in Daniel 2.17. Then Daniel went home and told his friends... Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, what happened? He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show mercy by telling them the secret so that they wouldn't be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. I love this. Daniel's first response wasn't to go to social media. Daniel's first response was to prayer. His first response was to prayer. And by the way, I don't know if you realize this, but it says earlier on, up in chapter 1, verse 17, listen to this. God gave these four men, this is Daniel and his friends, an unusual aptitude for learning literature science of the time. And God gave Daniel a special ability in understanding meanings and visions of dreams. Amazing, right? Now, I don't know when Daniel got this gift of dream interpretation and understanding. 
We can only assume that he got the gift around now. Maybe he could do it all along, and God had gifted him earlier in life. But whatever, I think he gave it to him while he was in Babylon. I think he got the ability to interpret dreams. Can, Can I tell you this? Most of us have, all of us have spiritual gifts that God's given us. Can I tell you honestly, most of us don't recognize our spiritual gift as a spiritual gift. No, you won't. You, you won't recognize your gift as a spiritual gift. You actually think your spiritual gift is something everyone can do and it ain't no big deal. I, I, here is a perfect example. I think everyone should be able to come up here, collect their thoughts, and talk about what God's telling them just to a bunch of people. I think everybody should stand up here, put a headphone on, or headset on, and just start talking about what God's talking to you about. To me, it just seems like the easy. Sometimes I feel so guilty doing what I'm doing because it just seems like this is so easy to stand up and just talk to people. You should see the looks on some of your faces. <laughs> do not hand me a microphone, right? Uh, can I tell you this, right? But I can't do what you do. If you listen, if you spend 10 seconds with my wife, you'll walk away encouraged. If you put her into a scenario and start asking her questions about uh, theology and different, she would tell you, like, I don't, that's not my thing. But you will walk away encouraged. My wife is an encourager. You will walk away and feel loved and encouraged and purpose in life and all the things. I love it. That's what I have with my wife. But, but I'm telling you, right? <laughs> she would say to you that I don't have any spiritual gift. All I do is talk to people. And I said, that's funny. Me too. I just talked to a lot of them at once. Everyone's been given a gift. Can I tell you how to spot your spiritual gift? One of the fastest ways to spot your spiritual gift. Write this down. You want to know what your spiritual gift is? You could take a spiritual gift assessment class. So you could do that, and that could help you. But can I tell you the easiest way? Ask a friend. Ask a friend what your spiritual gift is. If they're a good friend, they won't lie. They'll just tell you. I think one of the fastest ways to spot your spiritual gift is ask a friend. I love that Daniel went and asked a friend. He asked his friends, hey, guys, can you... Can you pray that God would give us wisdom and discernment on this next thing? Can you pray for me, right? I just wonder if some of their friends were like, yeah, I will pray, Daniel, but you already do that. Like God's already gifted you with that. I don't know what it is, but I just know that God will show you in those moments. He prayed. I love the fact that God, he gave him prayer. I, I believe that there's no, more, there's no more robust way to fight the right fight right than starting with prayer. Amen. And then finally, number three, make sure I get this. How to fight right when you don't agree with the king. Walk humbly. Walk humbly. I just want you to hear this. Daniel chapter 2, verse 48 says the king was appointed. After, after this whole journey happened, Daniel finally goes to the king, and without just for the sake of time, goes to the king, and he tells him the, the dream, and he tells him the interpretation. The king is so floored that the Bible says the king falls to his knees and begins to just praise the God of Daniel. It's crazy. It says in Daniel 2, 48, Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the entire province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. Wait a minute. Daniel walks humbly, uses his spiritual gift, then God promoted him to the highest ranking official in all of Babylon. Let me tell you this. God will use you ever, wherever you are. If you'll walk humbly and use discernment and watch him begin to use you. And now, now get this. This is amazing to me. I, I, just, I, got, I got a little bit on a rabbit trail yesterday as I was studying. Listen to this. Maybe you've heard this, this phrase before. It says, He made Daniel ruler over the province of Babylon, Babylon 
as well as chief priest over all the wise men. Wise men. Wise men. Heard that phrase before? Wise men. You remember Matthew chapter 2, the story of the birth of Christ? Wise men from the east, from Babylon, came, bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Where did these wise men come from? See, the Bible tells us that they were magicians and astrologers and uh, enchanters and all the craziness. The funny thing about English translations of the Hebrew or Aramaic parts of the Bible, they can often be misconstrued. It says that they were magicians. The actual word, English translation for magician, is actually a different word that's supposed to be used. But in English, we just want to get quickly to the answer. And so we say magician because it kind of implied some things. The actual word used here is the word magi. The magi. These were the ones. Wait a minute. These were the ones that God placed Daniel over. 600 years before the birth of Christ to impact the wise men of Babylon so that one day, 600 years later, there would be a virgin who would show up in a place called Bethlehem who would need to be provided for because Daniel fought right with the king. Daniel made an impact, not only on the world that he lived in, but he made an impact on the world that was far yet to come, that would provide for Mary and Joseph as they raised baby Jesus with gold and frankincense and myrrh. How were they going to get it provided for? Because their whole family shunned them. Here's how he got, they got provided for. God made a way 600 years before through Daniel because he fought right with the king because God cares about lost people. I got a funny feeling that Daniel never met Jesus. Well, he probably knows him now. But 600 years is a long time. God made a way 600 years before baby Jesus was born in a stable or wherever it was that was in Bethlehem. What am I getting at? I'm getting at this. Our actions impact people around us. What we do, what we say, what we post, how we live, how we fight right with the kings in our life. Will we just fly off the handle because of the injustice that we see? Or will we stop and say, what do you want me to do, Jesus? How will it rest put you forward? What can I do to show you the greatest? What can I do to make you shine bright through me? Because one day, maybe one day, somebody somewhere will see me or my profile and say, I want what she's got. I want what he's got. I want to live like they lived. Amen. Let's pray. God, I just pray today. Lord, would you help us to not be so quick to parse the words of the kings that are in our life? And oftentimes we parse them inaccurately. And I pray today, God, that we could do something different and we could say that our lives are to be lived like Daniel, who was held captive, who was told what to say, who was told what to learn, who was told how to carry himself, and yet he still lived right. He didn't give up and he didn't walk away from what he believed. He walked deeper in it. 
Lord, help us as men and women to watch what we say and what we do and how we carry ourselves, not for our good today, God, but for the good of those around us and those to come. Maybe this morning as we sit quietly before the Lord, there's a point of repentance that God has for you. And he's brought you here to get right your heart with him. If that's true, just say, Jesus, will you, will you forgive my actions? Will you forgive my hard-heartedness towards the kings in my life? Go ahead. Jesus, forgive me. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us and to purify us. Forgive me, God. I need you. Show me the right way to express my feelings and opinions so they best show forth who you are. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. It's the time for you to say, Jesus, I don't want to wait till my deathbed. I want to come before you now and give my life to you completely. I surrender my life to you. Take away my sin and give me your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.